the yin and the yang, the goal getter and the black hole of blanks, the two sides of that same coin called scoring goals. We discuss the incredible Harry Kane and the equally dumbfounding Crystal Palace, who now look as convincing as Crystal Skull. The only way they'd be less likely to score is if they signed Saido Berahino. Elsewhere, the Premier League gazes upon Pep's work and despairs as Man City storms Stamford Bridge, just like Burnley did a few weeks back. And speaking of the Clarets, yet another away win. Just what sorcery is Sean Dyche up to? All of that plus Scotland, Europe, Post and World Cup 18 as we start our look ahead to the final round of qualifying. It is the Totally Football Show. Hey, listener. Welcome back. How was your weekend? Good. Right. Off we go, then. Sasha Gurionov, your weekend was not good. Hello, James. I hate trains. I used to love them. Now I hate them. Oh, that's a shame, East Coast mainline last night uh, out of Newcastle. Oh, delays dear. for up to four hours. This morning, outside Wimbledon, delay of an hour. So I think I should just maybe switch to buses. Right. I did ask, didn't I? Yeah, mm. Oh, yeah. Ian, do you still like Chuff Chuffs? Uh, they're all right. Well, yeah, but I spent, I spent most of the night stuck on the M1. So what do Hi, I know? Jack Lang. Hello, James. Did you have transport nightmares? I had a very issue-free trip down to Bournemouth and back, so no Bingo. from this side. I'm so glad that you're here to tell us about what happened between Bournemouth and Leicester. <laughs> Me too. You know, Me I'm too. Not, I was going to make that item one, though. <laughs> um, kind of first thing that kind of strikes me about this weekend is that we're witnesses, I think, at the moment, something quite special. Uh, what potentially is a best ever and what is very potentially a, a worst ever in, in the shape of the Harry Kane and, and, and the Crystal Palace. Is this, do you think, is this a Newtonian thing? You know, for every uh, action, there is an equal <laughs> an opposite reaction. Because those goals have got to go somewhere, haven't they? Are you suggesting he's stealing goals from Crystal Palace? Well, just that in the universal scheme of things, they're, them not scoring their goals, he, they're basically filling up in his kind of karmatic... I'm not a scientist, but I'm willing to take this on and run with it. Well, I mean, it's, something's going on with Harry Kane. Something pretty special, wouldn't you say, Sash? Well, basically, he just finishes... He can score them from anywhere. And I think it's very demoralising for Huddersfield, as you could see on Saturday. Uh, because, uh, I mean, he opens the scoring. Uh, he has some outrageous shots. And uh, with the, before you know it, um, Huddersfield are 3-0 down. And what do you do from that? Yeah. And Huddersfield are not used to conceding this season. Well, yeah, to put it in perspective, they hadn't conceded a single goal from open play before that, and he comes along, uh, Spurs get four, uh, he gets two, the second one. Do you remember when Gareth Bale was at his pomp at, at Spurs? There was a, a game, I can't remember who it was against, maybe West Brom, in which he, he cuts across from the right, and then just when it seemed that there was nowhere to go, <laughs> unleashed an incredible... And this was very, very reminiscent of that, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's the... the... I mean, there are so many good things about Harry Kane, um, but with that goal, it's the fact that he is capable of doing the extraordinary. Um, he, he can occasionally be almost damned with faint praise at his many other attributes, including clattering back from his position to win balls on the halfway line and clatter back to get into position to receive them again, all of which is wonderful. But he, he is actually a really good footballer as well. Mm. And he, he was much uh, much mocked the other day for saying that he used uh, Messi and Ronaldo as the, the benchmark of what he wanted to achieve. Um, on the one hand, the statistics aren't that dissimilar. In fact, I think over 2017 he's scoring more than Ronaldo, not more than Messi um, at the moment. But the other thing is, well, why shouldn't he set that as a target? Why shouldn't he try and be the best striker in the world? Well, you probably saw the stat that he picked up 13 goals in September, which equals the best ever achieved in one month by, by, by Messi and Ronaldo. What, what do you think, Jack? You've seen some of the greats. <laughs> I don't think he's a million miles away from that level. I think he's slowly getting there. What I liked 
on he's Saturday. He's still young, isn't he? Very young. He's. Uh, I think there's a little bit of growth still to come. I think playing with a solid, organised team and with the same players every week really favours him compared mm. to some of the other strikers in the league. One of the things I liked at the weekend was the continuation of his relationship with Kieran Trippier. So since Trippier made the team last season, set up a lot of goals from Kane, often with neat crosses from the right, as we saw in midweek against Apoel. But even when Trippier does something fairly run-of-the-mill, like a, a throw-in or a, a long header over the top, Kane sees that as a, an opportunity to score. So he mm. turns even the most basic Kieran Trippier actions into assists. And that's working well for him. Yeah. I was just going to say then the crowd at, at Huddersfield applauding him off like they'd witnessed something pretty out of the ordinary. Um, of course, it wasn't all him. Terrific goal from Ben Davies. Can I throw a stat at you? This blows my mind. Uh, last five times that Spurs have played in the early Saturday kickoff, uh, Spurs 4-0 West Brom, Spurs 4-0 Watford, Spurs 4-0 Bournemouth, West Ham 2-3 Spurs, and then Spurs 4-0 at Huddersfield. I mean, I could go on. It's remarkable, isn't it? Has there ever been a team that's more full of mourning people? I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Early risers. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, we had Duncan Alexander in last week, mentioning Kane's personal goal race with West Ham. They're currently <laughs> level on 36 each for 2017, so there's that. Yeah, I was saying it's not just... Not just Harry Kane, is it, Ian? No, and this was something Pep Guardiola said. I, I genuinely don't know if he if he actually forgot the name of Tottenham, which sounds ridiculous, but, you know, it had been a very busy day and gifted people have strange brains. But to refer to them as that Harry Kane team was, was a, a little harsh, given that even in Man City's um, incredible, um, incredible form... Yeah, the three Tottenham defenders could all probably get in, into his team. That Christian Eriksen's absolutely outstanding. As Jack said, the fullbacks are playing out of their skin. I think Tottenham are, are rather more than just Harry Kane. Anything else you want to say about Spurs, Sasha? Or no. let's move on to Crystal Palace? Let's go to Palace. Palace. Again, some numbers. Last week, Palace became the first team in the 129-year history of the Football League to lose the first six games without scoring. This week, they became the first team in the etc. and so on to lose seven <laughs> games without scoring. Moreover, as Nick Harris pointed out, they are now the only one of 314 teams in the top divisions of Europe's top 20 leagues not to score a goal in this season so far. Ooh, Ed Quotha Raven says, when Palace eventually score, what do you think the celebration will look like? In Zagier's joy or utter sheepishness? The earth will open up and swallow them all. <laughs> do you see it? <laughs> Just so I know, do you, do you see this happening anytime soon, Sasha? Uh, what's the next game? They've got Chelsea. 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 Yes, <laughs> no. Um, I'm just looking at the stats in the Premier League here. Premier League this season, attacking stats 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. Oh, yeah, they hit the woodwork twice. So it's not as if they have, they've been that unlucky. Well, uh, again, we had Duncan Alexander in. He said the big thing about XG was what it told you about Crystal Palace's form this season. And because they had a high XG, I'm you know, sorry for bringing this up, but that meant that they had been making plenty of chances. To my untutored eye, what they got up to this weekend at Old Trafford, and it was against an informed Man United, didn't look like anything like that. They only had one shot on target, and it looked like the morale was basically shot. Yeah, morale is just completely gone. You, you can't see the people making the runs they need to, um, too many safety options being taken, and a very clear desire from 1-0 to, to, come on, lads, let's just not make this humiliating again. I mean, it should be said... Um, they're missing arguably their three best players in Benteke and Zahar and Loftus-Cheek but this is just an awful awful thing and you just you look back to last summer and think there are so many points that they could have made this better 
um, hasty decision. I mean, the, the decision to hire De Boer wasn't hasty. They actually took a long time over it, which makes you wonder why they didn't at least spend that much time letting him get settled in. But hey, I mm. can't see a way back for him at the moment. Yeah. That said, mm. Tony Pulis came in uh, far further down the line than this when Palace only had, I think, two points. Um, replacing Ian Holloway. So they are, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, they are only five points away from safety with no, 31 yeah. games to play. Fair point, fair the, point. The issue there for Palace, I think, is that you can probably safely expect at least Leicester to pull away mm. from that little bottom group. Everton, of course, I'm sure we'll talk about later, probably will be hoping to do so. So, you know, it, it's not as if the five points difference <laughs> are to, to a team... hopes, Jack. <laughs> Yeah, those five points are to, uh, difference to teams that we'll probably be expecting to pull away. So really, they want to be looking at, I would say, West Ham, Brighton, who are you know actually seven points better off. So that's the gap they need to be looking at, I would argue. But that squad, your point is that squad is better than, than bottom three? With Benteke, Zahara and Loftus-Cheek, yes. Without them, well, it, it remains to be seen. Right. Benteke has contributed to not scoring in the first five games. <laughs> We're dealing very much in potential here right now. They were, of course, playing United, and I don't know if anyone's picked up on this, but United are really good. I mean, they're actually a, a pleasure to watch and stuff. Marcus Rashford. Jack, Rashford and, uh, I don't know, Mbappe. I'm not being funny, but how much difference do you think there is? Mbappe is a class apart for that age group, but, mm. but Rashford certainly has huge potential. You look at the way he, he twisted Joel Ward inside out on the way to, to setting up the goal for one matter. Magnificent play. Obviously, he's got the pace. He's a good finisher, but he's also just really perceptive with the space around him, which is what I like. He's not really a left winger. He's just been moved there to, to accommodate him, him in the side, I think. But right. the way he's adapted to that and interpreted it in a nice way, in a way that, say... Anthony Martial is doing now but struggled to last season that's been very impressive I think that you know that gives us good uh, good hope that he's going to become in the future perhaps their top striker but in the meantime he can really carve out a place for himself on that side yeah I, I can't remember seeing him try and do something that hasn't come off of late I mean even that ridiculous shoulder pass that he did and he's he's been doing those knuckleball free kicks as well he scored one last season came very close to scoring one again against Southampton last week. That's another, you know, string to his bow. Mm. He's also got that very Harry Kane-like uh, attitude as well. When things go against him, as they did for England recently, yeah, his head doesn't go down. He just keeps on at it, keeps on cracking away. All mm. right, well, they certainly looked impressive as well. Away in Moscow, that goal difference, you're saying, plus 19 at this early in the season. Of course, Man City are one better than that. They're plus 20, and they, like Man United, are whopping five points clear of the nearest challengers, who are now Spurs. So I know you were saying five points isn't that much, but it's it's quite a margin there at, at the top. What was the reaction in Russia to Man United's visit last week, Sasha? Collective shrug. I mean, Ignashevich was playing. Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of the game, mm. um, it was uh, as soon as people saw Ignashevich's name on the team sheet, that, that was it. Oh. I mean, the man's 38 years old. He's never been that fast. He's only really been used in the league this year. And the Berezuski twins will play in the um, in the Champions League, including the qualifiers. And suddenly, well, it's Ignashevich against Lukaku. And there was, he made a couple of dreadful mistakes, but he's 38 years old. Mm. Uh, what what can he possibly do? So it was a creaking. It was a, it was um, I mean, it was a brutal mauling. Uh, and 
it wasn't unexpected once you know you saw the first few minutes. I mean, but CSK at the moment they're losing players left, right, and centre. Zagoyeva's now injured. They lost three players to injury at the weekend uh, against Ufa, a nil-nil draw. They've only scored one in five league games. So wow. they're, they're like, they are. I don't know. It's every year they seem to lose about ten percent until maybe eventually they'll be dead. Hmm. Um, but they just um, they're just withering. Um, and all this optimism after beating ben, uh, Benfica away two-one. A was put in perspective by Benfica's. 5-0 defeat at Basel and then B uh, this defeat against United I mean I don't think CSK were expecting to win the game but certainly I thought there might be a bit more bit more of a fight there but there certainly wasn't Alright okay we'll get your thoughts on what happened between Liverpool and Spartak you were sh- you were sure to said no chance of doing anything in that game. I still um, think they had no chance. <laughs> okay, uh, a bit later on when we do that Liverpool negativity thing. Right now though, let's just finish off this bit with some Man City love because you went to Stamford Bridge on yeah. Saturday. Oof. I mean, particularly second half. Uh, it was. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a one-nil game. Uh, Pep was the puppet master. He had them exactly where he wanted them. I mean, to the extent that in the 64th minute, he ordered Sané and Sterling to switch flanks after being reminded of this by one of his coaches, clearly pre-planned. Then there were two attacks by Sterling on the flank in the next couple of minutes. And then, bang, they go the other way through the middle with De Bruyne, which I think is Chelsea were already softened up and sort of slightly distracted. And they just went possibly in a direction Chelsea didn't quite expect and the, the game just opened up. And after that, it was easy. It was easy. They were impressive. They interchanged. Jesus was amazing, I thought, uh, just in terms of the amount of work he does. At one mo- moment, 10 minutes to go in the game, um, he actually tackled William in midfield, which I thought was quite interesting coming together of attacking players. But it wasn't just him. There was four of them there. And they hunted like packs. They delved, I thought, looked, looked superb at left back. Mm. I mean, the whole... So, uh, Chelsea, I think, had two shots on target the whole game. And one of them was because City fell asleep on the free kick. But they just, it was comfortable, it was easy. And after the game, and I haven't seen this before, the entire Man City coaching staff and the garish outfits, it's maroon colour, I think it's horrible, uh, waited on the touchline for all the players to come off shaking and congratulating them personally, every single one of them. I mean, I haven't seen such show of unity anywhere before, really. And I think Pep uh, picked up on this after the game, saying, look, you know, we, they want to create this club mentality, this, this unit thing. I suppose the players, coaches, you know, in some clubs are not that close, but here they just want to create this unit, which is going to be basically looks like it's going to sweep everything aside ahead of them. I mean, they have, they've won nine games out of 10 this season. Mind you, they won the first 10 last season, but this, this year it looks more complete. And this is also given that they've lost Aguero to a rib yeah. injury. Um, Delph isn't really a specialist left back. This was his, I think his second game, but he, maybe he played against West Brom there as well. So maybe his third game at left back looked organic. I mean, he looked, looked like he's been playing there a while mm. and, uh, and Mendy of course and company yeah I mean all, all these injuries but it didn't look like it had any effect on this unit on right. this like, living organism that was playing they made Chelsea look clumsy there's also a fear factor isn't there to mm. see you look at the way Chelsea lined up same as they lined up against Atletico Madrid away with the extra man packed into midfield and of course, when when Alvaro Morata was forced off, the fact that William, Antonio great. Conte brings sure. on William. Yeah. So, so yeah, they also they lost couldn't their explain it. Big uh, thread up. Yeah. If only they'd had a man on the bench who just pulled off a last minute win against one of the top sides in Europe. Some some kind of thirty million pound striker, you say? <laughs> yeah. So now some people said, oh yeah, well they went for William because that fitted the shape of what they were doing. Well, I, I, I'm not. I wasn't, I'm sure <laughs> because they, they effectively the way they were playing at the start of the second. I think Hazard was the most advanced player, which I thought just didn't make any sense to me personally right um, but Conti's no dummy so he must have been thinking of something but does he really not like Batshuayi um, not that I heard of but he there were certainly rumours in the summer that Batshuayi wasn't happy mm. about his role as you know he didn't really see himself forcing his way into the starting 11 and you know if he, if he cannot start in such a if he, if he cannot come on in such a key match 
you know, he must he must have doubts. But also in terms of setup, Conte was very realistic after the game. He said, look, you know, they would like to have the ball, this approach, defensive approach. You know, this this is what made sense to me. And you have to bear in mind, um, you know, virtually the same team just pulled off uh, on Wednesday what was described as the result of the decade, uh, you know, in Europe for an English team away. And they were just absolutely destroyed at home. Yeah, bullied, as you say mm. there. 38% uh, in their own ground, their possession. Mm. And uh, as, as you equally point out, that was a Man City side without several of its best players. Basically, they score more compared to last season. You mentioned their yeah, winning and streak And they can there. defend. They concede a lot less. And, not coincidentally, their goalkeeper looks oh, he did, like, like one of the most dangerous men in the league. He did a brilliant thing with a few minutes to go. Um, there was a ball, like a long ball forward. He came outside yeah. the box. And the way he controlled it with his chest, like really soft chest, just kind of carried carried with him for two yards. And I was looking at it going, I've never seen a keeper control the ball like that outside the box. It was brilliant. There are, there are at least after. two chest yeah. controls. But, mm. but this one was just, just, just stuck to him. I was just like, whoa. The Mario so and Fellaini <laughs> magnetic chest. But you, most keepers, you might see a, a chest control twice in a season, mm. twice in City's biggest game yeah. of the season. This was the game of the season. Incredible well, confidence it? and technique. Right. There was a lot made about this whole thing of distribution and that's why Joe Hart had to go. But uh, V. Ramakrishnan was pointing out a 92-metre kick landing right at Jesus' feet. That's a, that's a big kick. Can you think of a better distributor in, in, in terms of as a goalkeeper? In, in, uh, I'm no in goalkeeping football. expert. I know I've heard David Priest talk a lot and mm. he raised the, the uh, example of Jordan Pickford mm. who's got those lovely flat kicks... Which are very nice. Uh, don't loop too much in the air. I think that makes it easier for attackers to to get on the end of to judge. Who's who's number one for Brazil though? Because it's not Edison, is it? It's at the moment. It's Alisson. Oh right, it's Roma. Roma. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, to be fair, a decent yeah. keeper. He's a good goalkeeper, but obviously spent much of last season uh, being back up to Szczesny at Roma. So there were a few question marks over the fact that a, uh, a second choice keeper was Brazil's first choice but he's done very well he's been very solid what can he do better than Edison not a lot I think I, I would say Edison is is the superior keeper and it wouldn't surprise me a great deal if if they change places over the next nine ten months I think I think also I mean we're talking about distribution but he also does saves he doesn't have to do many saves as a city keeper but he does them and he made two key saves in in the game against Chelsea last season Bravo was not doing those saves right scarier huh? I mean, they, they just, they, I mean, Pep looked so pleased after the game. Was, you could feel it. He was, it's, uh, I think he mentioned at some point, you know, every manager has a plan. And you know, today a plan worked. And he was like, yes, this plan worked. And he was just, couldn't stop him talking. It was great to see. Hmm? Okay, listen to. Got to stop you talking, though, Sasha, because that's Sorry. where we're going to wrap part one. After which, hello, Raphael Honigstein. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Rafa, thanks for joining us. Breaking news, Bayern Munich have fired Carlo Ancelotti and replaced him with Willy Sanyol. How's the revolution getting on then? Uh, a restoration, I think, is what they're aiming for. Um, Willy Sanyol picked a team that could have been almost a Jopankis team. Had, uh, Robin and Ribéry and Müller all reinstalled, Boateng at the back. Uh, and Javi Martinez as a holding midfielder, very reminiscent of the team that won the trouble in 2013. Uh, they started well enough away to Berlin on Sunday, but then uh, conceded two stupid goals and only came away with a 2-2 draw for the second uh, game running in the Bundesliga. So 
not the best of starts. Uh, I mean, in any case, Sangola is just there to to keep the bench warm. Uh, they're hoping to get somebody in place by the end of the uh, international break. But that kind of result, I think, might have strengthened the hand of Thomas Tuchel, who, out of the two most viable candidates, uh, him and Julian Nagelsmann, is, of course, available straight away. Uh, Nagelsmann, I think, who is very much in Bayern's plans as well, it looks as if he will only be allowed out of his contract uh, at Hoffenheim a little bit later, if at all. Rafa, you were taken, I think, somewhat aback by the decision to get rid of Carlo. How unusual is it for Bayern this early in the season to be ditching a manager? Uh, well, it is very unusual for them. That's never happened before so early in the season. But then, of course, um, some of the problems had been lingering for a few months. So this is not this is not something that happened overnight. I was surprised that they pulled the trigger at this point. Uh, they, you know, Bayern were not entirely happy with him. Yes, he had won the, the Bundesliga, but... Uh, they didn't really feel that he was uh, getting the most out of the squad. It's only in the wake of the PSG defeat and I think the way that the team looked as if they were sort of disintegrating um, that they were forced to to pull the trigger a a lot earlier. So in a way I was surprised, but I think under the impression of Paris, they felt they had no choice. And I think the, the impression of Berlin might actually just reinforce their belief that something needs to happen rather quickly and a, and a new and much more proactive manager has to come in very, very, very quickly. Five points behind in the Bundesliga, but in the Champions League, they're level on points now with Celtic, who they're going to be facing home and away in their next two European commitments. How um, positive is this as a piece of news for Celtic's hopes of maybe getting, getting through in, in place of Bayern? Well, I think Celtic can, of course, take some heart from Bayern's problems. Bayern looks shaky at the back. They uh, don't have much um, much cohesion, much structure going forward. Uh, they might not, might still not have a proper manager in charge uh, by the time those games come around after the uh, international break. At the same time, I think you know it doesn't really change much of the basic equation. I mean, Bayern have a very, very strong side. They can beat most teams, shall we say. <laughs> And uh, I don't think they are necessarily in a fundamentally better position than they would have been if Ancelotti was still in charge. So, yes, it's, uh, you always want your opponents struggling and being a bit of disarray, but I don't think it really changes the equation too much. All right, Rafa, well, listen, you enjoy your week off, no doubt following uh, Germany's trip to Northern Ireland with great interest on Thursday night. And we'll see you next Monday. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah, that's Raphael Honigstein. Dortmund 2-1 at Augsburg. They're still top of the table. And uh, Rafa will be uh, in the pod next uh, Monday. We're going to be discussing what on earth happened, the Gotterdammerung, if you will, of, uh, of, of German football. Uh, but he'll also be uh, live very much on stage when we take the O2, uh, the annex, the, the indigo bit. And that's on 29th of November. If you'd like to see him... And me and Ian, are you there? I think so. Yeah, and other people too in Totally Football Show Live at the O2. Then get along to their website or our Facebook page and snap yourself up a ticket. Hmm. Ian, you went to Newcastle this weekend. I did. Yeah, so did Liverpool. Unlike them, I hope you brought back more than one point. Oh, <laughs> several. Which, 
Did uh, you? Okay. With whom would you like me to start? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it could be interesting times at Newcastle. Ah. Um, outside of the on-the-pitch action, because one Amanda Staveley was in attendance. Wasn't she once... You may remember her from such abortive takeovers as DIC with Liverpool in 2009? I was thinking of the Prince Andrew business, but yours is more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is a, uh, a conduit to huge piles of international finance. Mm. Um, Did you get a chance to speak? Tra- tragically not, oh. I feel we, uh, we move in different, different, uh, different stratospheres. Mm. Um, uh, a number of non-disclosure agreements have been signed um, between unnamed parties. Um, Now, at the moment, the people around the club are suggesting that, you know, that nothing's particularly advanced at this time, but the fact that there are NDAs in place does indicate that the talks are at last beginning. Now, a lot of Newcastle fans might respond to the notion of getting rid of Mike Ashley with some optimism. You're saying that perhaps the... Be careful what you wish for. Is that your message? No, no, not at all. you know, there's always frying pan and fire, but mm. I'd, I would suggest that <laughs> they're certainly in one of the two at the moment. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, all supporters have to be careful where their where their club goes and, and be aware of uh, of who's coming in. But at the moment, things are so miserable and so unlikely to change at any point in the future that how bad does it have to be for it to be a step down? Well, um, yeah, that's true. You know, I think they'd all be very, very happy if someone else came in. Uh, there was an interesting message that I'm sure uh, Miss Daveley would have taken notice of um, in Spanish to Rafa Benitez, um, spelled out in enormous banners across the Gallagate end, uh, and I paraphrase here because my Spanish isn't all that, but basically saying we will follow you wherever. Um, we, we're not bothered about the liars. We quite like you, Rafa, that okay. kind of thing. Um, so if what, do you, what, do you, what do you make of his team? Once again, it's extraordinary how organised he can make any defence. And we're talking about a back four that's Manquillo, who wasn't good enough for Liverpool. Yedlin, (laughs) Yedlin, likewise Sunderland and uh, and Tottenham. Uh, Kieran Clark of the school of Aston Villa. Uh, And and Lachelles, who we all love, obviously, but um, is someone who's come up from the championship. And in the second half, when you expected Liverpool to really come at Newcastle and and get the, the win they wanted... Newcastle were pretty much holding them at bay. Um, Benitez's work there has been extraordinary, and this is not a Newcastle characteristic to be good at the back. Right. Sasha, you were there as well. Yeah, I was so impressed with the way, I think last 40 minutes, basically, Newcastle shut down the game. There was the air kick from Clark, and unlike Harry Kane, Daniel Sturridge did not take advantage of such a terrible mistake. Uh, You know, Klopp, after the game, alluded that maybe if he had scored a bit more goals, had a bit more confidence, he might have taken a bit more time. Well, Klopp after the game was very angry um, mm. at the suggestion that the draw might be a fair result and really picked on the journalist who asked it, which I thought was a little bit unfair because it was the first question to a furious manager, uh, which isn't great. But XG for Liverpool was 1.79 versus 0.374. Uh, Newcastle, but... What, what, hang on a sec. What, what, what does that mean? So do you think it was a fair result or not? Uh, I Personally, the way yeah. the game panned out in the second half, yep. I think it was because I think you have to give credit to Newcastle for the superb defensive performance. Maybe sometimes in this case you do have to get a little bit lucky uh, and maybe like... But Liverpool have been guilty of horrendous misses for mm. the last few weeks yeah so, one win in seven now despite the fact that they're massively out shooting all their opponents they are out shooting and Klopp was asked after the game you know one in seven what do you do and he was well he was sort of rambled on a little bit about one in seven there's different ways of getting one in seven a bit more lucky there'd be like three and seven etc and so on but this is becoming quite systemic um and also, he was changing formations second half. At one stage, he had four people going forward. Double substitutions, 15 minutes. We had more, I think he effectively had five attacking. And they had, there was no penetration at all, right. as far as I could see. 
Okay, unlike Newcastle with that wonderful one goal, ball one chance from uh, John Joe Shelby. That was yeah. like the kind of goal you would score on table football, straight through the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The two central back, well, that's probably, backs that's open up. Confusing them because it looked like they both left it for each other. And went, oh, uh, and then. And that's not the first time, because yes. that's exactly the kind of ball that mm-hmm. did them against Man City when the game was very evenly balanced. Did you read that thing about Dejan Lovren and the, and the pills? He's in the such, pills? Yeah, he's, he's got a couple of injuries he's playing with. He's, I believe one of them's a back injury and maybe a knee injury. He told the Croatian press this week that he takes five pills before the match. Uh, just got to wonder how many of those are sedatives. On a more serious note, um, like whatever I, as soon as I read that, I thought Daniel Aga because he's, he basically ruined himself with pills by playing on pills through all the pain. Right. Um, David B.W. says, are Liverpool's defensive problems due to poor defenders or their lack of a defensive holding midfield player? But the Buffet Bowler says, hang on, is an away draw at a historically tough ground really so bad a result that it requires huge post-mortems with ex-players piling in? This is a very fair point, and it's not an easy place to go. It's not an easy defence to play against. Um, I think... Liverpool, for much of the first half, had their back four pretty much on the halfway line. So they kind of asking for trouble against two midfielders uh, like Marino and Shelby, who've both got a pass in them. So that, that kind of thing was always on the cards. In defence of the defence, it's not like Newcastle landed many punches on them. It's, uh, I realise this is all a bit, you know, Senderos and Juru at Arsenal. For 89 minutes, they're absolutely great. And then there's one moment where it all goes wrong. Uh, it's a little early for crisis talks. Liverpool aren't, they're not, they're not playing as badly as Everton, for example. They're not that far off. Mm. It's just, it must be a source of incredible frustration that it's the same two departments again and again. They're profligate at the front and they're leaky at the back. Crisis talks for Everton? What do you think? It wouldn't surprise me at all after that, after that game. I thought it was one of the worst performances I've seen in two or three years from a Premier really? League team. Yeah, Did you see was... the Apple on Limassol game? I saw highlights of that, okay. which didn't look great either. No, I, I, I mean, so this is home to the fifth best team in in, in Cyprus uh, last Thursday, uh, and they drew. What was it? Two two. Worst ever start to Europa League group campaign by an English team. Fact. And Kuman saying afterwards that his team looked scared to play. They've only scored four goals in the Premier League. I know they had a difficult set of fixtures to start with, but and the only two teams who were worse than them in terms of scoring goals are Crystal Palace and Swansea. But it's 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 the way they set up. It's too many number tens, not enough wingers, overloaded fullbacks, not no focus really up front. Also, to be fair, Sigurdsson and Rooney haven't really been pulling up trees. No, well, Sigurdsson's uh, not assisted or, or scored. Yeah, we did wonder. I mean, even if he was doing well, it, whether he was the player that they needed to spend all that money per, on. Perhaps not. Perhaps maybe there is a way to rehabilitate Barkley or something. I don't know. But also, the way Kuman is, he's so disconnected from every like speaking to Everton fans. Mm. They have, I mean, their view is that they have a guy who came in, said, ah, oh, lads, you're just a stepping stone, and basically remained this aloof, I'm too good for you character ever since. It hasn't really emotionally invested in the club, particularly after he comes after someone like Moyes and Martinez, who really took Everton to heart. And this guy's there going like, yeah, I'm just here for a bit, and, you know, I'll move on. I don't really care about any of you. And certainly this is the perception from, um, you know, that he gives. There's just a few too many problems that were too predictable the Rooney situation um, I actually said in the summer he's going to do a tour he will do a tour of every position in front of midfield and then he'll end up on the bench I really should have stuck a date on it I'd have won some money um, Sigurdsson as, as Sasha says the question isn't spending 45 million quid on him um, the question is why you would spend 45 million quid on another number 10 you've got 
um, Rooney, who's probably going to end up there. You've got Barkley. Then you get him in. There's Clarson. Um, you've got the lad at Nottingham Forest, Kieran Dow, who looks a bit of a talent. Um, yeah, they're, they're completely overloaded there. When you lose a £75 million striker who's been your top goal scorer three years on the bounce, that's where you put the money. And we all kind of assumed he was going to do that at some point. Um, they are slow. They're lacking in confidence. They've got round pegs and diamond-shaped holes. They're, I can't see what the wider plan is. And Tom Davis, they've got an old-fashioned number eight who's the kind of player they need to get the ball and run with it and open up uh, defences. And more often than not, he's coming on as a right wing-back. I, I can't see the wider plan here. It's far too early to panic. They've spent a lot of money. They don't want to be making changes right now. But this isn't good enough. Oh, they're 16th currently, uh, two points off the bottom three. Sasha? I also think, you know, you have someone like Ashley Williams being terrible. Mm. Uh, makes players around him worse. Like Pickford and Keane, I think, are nervous mm. now. because And you see Ashley Williams' mistake against, uh, against the Cypriots on Thursday. It's just terrible. Right. Burnley, by contrast, having their best ever start to a Premier League campaign. Not that they've made that many, but still, they're up in six. Why? You see, Sean Dyche afterwards was saying, well, a lot of things are coming together. The margins were tight. Now we're getting on the right side of those margins. But it doesn't look like they're playing their football a little bit different now. I think, first and foremost, carry on from last season, it's just the, the clear love they have for defending. You see a real, a real desire there, a real... Other teams are organised, but no team seems to enjoy the battle to the extent that Burnley do. I think mm. that goes a long way in the Premier League. So you look at someone at the back, someone like Tarkovsky, who's coming stalker. from Michael Keane at the back. He, you know, last season spent much of it on the bench, had an odd game at the end of the season. Uh, but he's looked very assured. These are not players who are going to be on highlight reels very often. Ben Mee, uh, Matthew Lowton. But together, they just know each other's games inside out. And I think the protection they get from the midfield, who sit as that banker for, very, very good. And the Lummoxes up front do the job. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Lummox is looking pretty special this weekend. The most passes in the build-up of any Burnley goal in Premier League history. Uh, 24, wasn't it? Before um, Hendricks. Put yeah. it away. Hendrick, rather. Second longest build-up this season. Really? Burnley are getting the benefit of intangibles now, like having a manager who's been there a long time. Um, the team spirit, the decision to put Tarkowski into the team rather than spend the money on someone else. Imagine what that does to everyone else in the squad, everyone in the wings. They're thinking, well, you know, I am going to get a chance with this manager. I'll get a run in the team. I'll get a chance to prove myself. But the way that they're attacking now, that confidence comes with familiarity. The, they, they know who their teammates are. They know the runs they're going to be making. They can start to express themselves more. They're having a fantastic start. Final point, if you just compare Daesh on Saturday to Kuman. Every time there is a stoppage, Dash is in there saying, let's do this, gene them up. Move to front. Kuma just stands there. Flicking through a yeah. brochure of Costa Brava villas and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 Also on Sunday, Arsenal, who are just a point and a place above Burnley, beat Brighton 2-0 on what was Arsene Wenger's 21st anniversary of taking the job with the Gunners. Five wins and a draw in September, and again, no Urzel. M- momentum is building, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Mm. Four clean sheets in the league on the bounce. Right. They haven't conceded since uh, that awful day at Anfield. Right. Liverpool, meanwhile, haven't kept a clean sheet in the league since that awful day at Anfield. How curious. Yes. All right. We'll have more from the wide world of the Premier League and beyond after this. 
Listeners to footballing podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again. Just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. France, you a fan of French football, Jack Lang? I dabble. You do? OK, did you dabble in PSG's uh, encounter with Bordeaux? I I saw the goals, Yeah, many of which were spectacular. Yeah. I think the... Draxler, the pick of the bunch for Dra- me. As a finish, certainly. Yeah. But I think the, you know, there were other moves. I actually thought the Cavani move was, right. was a better one. A little, a little back heel by Mbappe to Neymar, approaching the edge of the box, a little sliding a ball through for Cavani, who completely wrong-footed the goalkeeper. I thought that was, that was lovely. But Draxler's finish with the outside of the left boot. Gorgeous. And you had Neymar taking the free kick. And that was the thing, you know, after all the... After the upsets and the bitterness about spot kicks, they were they were hugging each other. It looked convincing, to be fair. Cavani and Neymar embracing and 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 kissing, you know, in a healthy sporting. I way. don't think Cavani has much of a choice in this. I think it's it, it may be a somewhat loveless relationship. That really? and I, I think if Cavani does make a big issue of it, I don't think it'll end well for him. Sometimes, though, Jack, you have that initial tension with somebody, and it just speaks to. A, you know what the emotions that can lead to that tension can, when that little obstacle is overcome, can lead to a, a really beautiful friendship. I'd like to think that's what's going to flower in the Parisian, uh, you know, in the, the Parisian autumn. Uh, anyway, uh, craziest red of the weekend came in France at Angers. Did you see this, Jack? I did. Right. Uh, the Brazilian centre back for, for Marcelo. Lyon, Marcelo, just mm-hmm. arrived from from Besiktas. So he gets a yellow. And he puts his hand up to say, ref, and as he puts his hand up, the ref's bringing the card down, hits Marcelo's hand, the card springs out of his hand, the ref goes, <gasps> knocking the card out of my hand, and gives him a red. <laughs> yeah, rotten. Leon were leading 3-1 when he was sent off, they ended up drawing 3-3. The way the card just rotated slowly through the air, as if in slow motion, it, it, it could so easily have just dropped to the floor, but there was a, there was a cartoon, dramatic feeling to it. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Amiens derby on a less humorous note with Lille got abandoned when a barrier collapsed as the Lille fans were celebrating uh, a goal. Five fans were badly injured. You know, a point was made about that. If mm. that was safe standing rather than seats, there wouldn't be such a surge. If there was a barrier on every row, as being proposed now as what Celtic are piloting currently in Scotland, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be that surge of fans going forward and falling over themselves. Interesting. Which is something, is that something you see more in Ligue 1 than other other um, leagues because certainly Saint-Etienne they have that big thing of all piling down the front en masse well in, in this country bruised and gashed shins are a regularity yes. any kind of surge pushes you into the seat in front of you if everyone's standing mm. or like 10 seats in front of you people go flying sometimes in the wind two lads who went rolling down oh the yeah that was aisle. at Sunderland but I think was it not with Stoke no one celebrates at Sunderland <laughs> <laughs> And it was Stoke, but there was just Stoke, yeah. yeah. Would, but that was, I think, just a regular. Maybe they just came out with the beers or something. Anyway. Right. Well, speaking of Stoke, uh, their clash with Saints ended two-one somehow. I'm not entirely sure. Peter Crouch related. Oh, there you go. again. Mm. Um, right place, right time. It was an incredible goal in that I don't think there will ever be a scrappier goal scored. Um, we Why? Talk, well, we talk about like a 23-24 passing move at Burnley. There, there were certainly 23 touches before this, I think all in the penalty area. Um, it's proper pinball finish. He's different, almost 37. Different, different team each time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I think Virgil van Dijk was supposed to be marking him. But uh, perhaps he, he didn't have a good day. I, no. I didn't mention, by the way, I mm. did um, Everton-Stoke 
at the beginning of the season. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, I treated myself to a first-class upgrade on the way back, uh, as did the Stoke team. Mm. Usually they, they book out the whole carriage. Um, but in this case, they haven't booked enough seats. So Peter Crouch and Glenn Johnson ended up sort of just across the aisle from me. All right. And Peter Crouch's entire life is posing for selfies. Which he does like with with absolute charm. Well, you mean all the people coming by? Just all the way, all the way back to London. Everyone came down the aisle. It was like everyone on the train had to get their selfie. Yeah. and he never looked never looked short tempered about the whole thing. It was just like like it was the first time he'd ever done it. For years, we depicted him as some kind of nacho loving. Yeah, essentially <laughs> but, a, a monster. Is she? Um, <laughs> is she the most like likable goal scorer in the Premier League? Because I, I don't I think, think so. anyone could have not sympathised with the goal. Mm. That he scored, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. And also, James, as yes. I mentioned before, big fan of football Italia. Get him on. No, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of players were. There was a lot to like about that show, Sasha. Um, <laughs> elsewhere this weekend, there was a joy for Rondon and a another late goal for Richarlison of uh, Watford in that two-two draw. Rondon, that was that was great. Eh? To see the pleasure that it brought him. He's a strange guy, Rondon. I think he's he's very talented, but I don't think he can have really any complaints about having mainly a bench role this season. I think Jay Rodriguez just offers a little bit more in the build-up, but Rondon is a fantastic weapon on the odd start he has, certainly off the bench. You know, I, I don't think he's going to score you 10, 15 goals a season, but he'll certainly chip in. Mm. Where's Brom, though? Do you remember the end of sort of 10 weeks before the end of the season? They reached 40 points and they just shut up shop. Have they ever really opened shop again with the start <laughs> of the new season? Well, they, they won the first two games of the season and uh, it all looked very promising. They, they should have won their third game of the season as well. It was only a defensive clangor um, that, that saw them draw with Stoke. Um, and they haven't won since. And I think the run they're on now is something like those two wins in 16 games. Really? So West Brom fans are, are, again, getting a little bit frustrated with this. OK. Also this weekend, West Ham beat Swansea 1-0, but you weren't there to see that, Jack. So let's talk instead about a game you went to at the Vitality Stadium, which featured absolutely no goals whatsoever. Bournemouth hosting Leicester. It wasn't quite as boring as the scoreline suggests it wasn't wasn't brilliant but there was some there was some good play from Bournemouth especially early on they completely dominated the first 20 minutes should have should have scored the uh, Jermaine Defoe hit the bar and they were denied a what looked like a clear penalty when Danny Simpson stuck out a hand to, to stop a shot going over the line but in the end I think the most significant thing was the performance of uh, Lewis Cook the the Bournemouth midfielder the England under 20 player it was his first start of the season first appearance of the season hadn't even come off the bench previously and he was very assured just tick the midfield over with Andrew Sermon neat and tidy a few incisive balls but mainly just kept it simple Bournemouth completely dominated the Leicester midfield Andy King was subbed off at half time on came uh, Vicente Abora from from Sevilla looked absolutely lost looked, looked like a, a giant with these small generic midfielders running all around him mm. tying tying his legs in knots and, yeah, Bournemouth, amazingly, didn't manage to score, but it was a real opportunity missed. Jack, they are 19th, only a point from safety, but 19th. What's the mood at the Vitality Stadium? Uh, I think it was mixed. It wasn't particularly negative. There weren't really any boos. But what's difficult for Bournemouth, I think, is the fact that the fixture list really, really stiffens up now. Ooh. They've got uh, Tottenham coming up, Chelsea coming up in the next three Eddie Howe tried to put a positive spin on it, saying, you know, if, if the team keeps playing like this, we will score goals, we, mm. will, we won't be in trouble. But I think the issue for them is, is 
the defence perhaps last season was not their strong suit, but it didn't actually look too bad. The problem was up front where there was a lot of movement, but no real incision. So they had, I think they had 19 shots, but apart from Defoe against the bar, Schmeichel wasn't tested too much. Yeah, because Josh King was the the revelation last season and, and he's been, has he, he's presumably shifted position to accommodate Defoe. Defoe, who I believe touched the ball less than anybody. Uh, on on the field this weekend. Well, I think it's a similar position for King in that he he is basically up front, slight, slightly withdrawn compared to Defoe, but then mm. he was slightly withdrawn uh, with Benikafobi for much of his good run last season. So I would say his position is not that different. He was very involved, looked very busy, but Defoe is a different kind of player to a phobie. Defoe is all about those little darting runs, whereas I think the physical presence of a phobie gave King something to work off a bit more. I don't think they're going to be in desperate trouble if they play the way they did at the weekend. I think Howell was right, but with a couple more tough fixtures to come, I I think there could be a a few fingernails getting chewed. It's going to get worse before it gets better, says football's Jack Lang. Uh, Leicester stat. Leicester won seven of their first ten under Craig Shakespeare. How many have they won of their past ten? One. That's correct, Sasha. All right. After this, Ian does football league. Ian, in the championship, what do you want to tell us about first? That exciting top-of-the-table clash between Cardiff and Derby? Well, actually, no, I was going to tell you about the top of the table. In the Of the top four, only one team won. So that division's tightening up all over again. It was Wolves who won, uh, thrashing Burton 4-0 away from home. There's a thing about Wolves. Every time you watch them, you think they're very, very good and they're going to get even better. Cardiff, for their part, dropped two points at home to Derby. Derby, a ridiculously inconsistent team. I really thought Cardiff were going to come out of that with points. Sheffield United managed to lose to Nottingham Forest, who've mm. been on appalling run of form, and Leeds again beaten heavily this time by Sheffield Wednesday, who are making up for what happened last weekend against Sheffield United. Um, elsewhere, Sasha's friend, and, and all of ours, I think, uh, Leonard Slutsky, uh, he's not been very happy. It's not been working out. Hull 6, Birmingham 1. That's crazy, and isn't it? They, that's, uh, they've beaten the bottom f- three of the bottom four uh, by quite heavy scorelines. They've, they've scored 18 goals at home this season, which is way more than anyone else in the league. Top scorers in the in the league. Yeah. Or all, even. Yeah, so, it's never so, boring. So who's in charge of Birmingham now after Harry Redknapp's departure? Steve Cotterell will take over, having very wisely opted to watch this one from the stands so mm. it doesn't go on his record. Um, so, yeah, he'll be moving in. Elsewhere, Bristol City, who um, were very, very close to going down last season, beat Ipswich 3-1 away, um, and they're now fifth. And there's another win for Aston Villa. You'll note, ever since I did that video on the Facebook page, apologising for tipping Villa for promotion, mm-hmm. uh, Villa have won every game since then. They are now seventh, and they're only five points off the top. All right. John Terry? Uh, is still there, yes. Yeah. Well, of course, we'll get more of all this kind of thing in the Totally Football League show which will be up on Tuesday. I know, Ian, that on your agenda you've got Lincoln, Peterborough and Reading. Yes. Will you also be answering Andrew Lawrence's question, which is, is Plymouth's five red cards in eight games a record? I'll get Matt Stanger on the case right right now. Other people asking questions this week include Matt Wilkins. Can you ask Sasha if he's been to Maidenhead this season, Sasha? Uh, Not this season. I have. Oh, have you, James? Do you know it's the oldest continuously used football ground in the world? I did not know that. Yeah. And they won it the weekend as well. Did they? Yeah. How are they doing? Uh, they are 
oh, on the edge of the playoffs, I think, wow. uh, in the conference, which is quite good. And they had their former striking partnership from last season watching it this weekend, uh, Tarpy, ACL. Mm. And Sean Marks, I wasn't sure why he wasn't playing, perhaps injury as well. All right. Any reason that you're boycotting? Uh, there wasn't no particular reason. It's just, just finding finding the time. I don't boycott Maidenhead. All They're right. lovely over there. Keith Monaghan says, Oxlade-Chamberlain has really made Liverpool's centre of the bench position his own. Do you think Southgate should try him there for England? It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit harsh. Uh, Demba C says, if you had to bet on it, who do you see being relegated? The bottom three as it stands or another team? Jack, bottom three currently are Swansea, Bournemouth and Crystal Palace. I think... One of them will get out of it. I think that one is at the risk of inviting anger. I think that one to get out of it will be Swansea. All right. Yeah. And I think I think they've tightened up at the back, and I think that will that will get them just enough points if they start scoring the odd goal, which would be nice. All right. And getting dragged in, I see West Ham or Brighton. Yeah, I could see West Ham getting dragged in. I could also still see Huddersfield getting dragged in. I know it seems mean after their their really good start, but we've seen this before with mm. other teams with. Um, with Blackpool, with Hull uh, as well last season. Um, there's a very, very long way to go. I would like to once again apologise for predicting Watford to go down, uh, mm. and I would like to make it clear I no longer think that. OK, fair enough. Sasha? I think uh, Bournemouth and Swansea will get out. Uh, Brighton, I think, will drop in. And, yeah, perhaps West Ham. West Ham, this, Billish has this really weird knack of being literally a game away from the sack. <laughs> and then actually getting a, like a run of wins somehow not very pretty ones he's a thrill seeker there's a <laughs> yeah. morale booster for him in that he took off Hernandez and was roundly booed for it mm. and brought on Sacco and then Sacco okay. scored in the last minute All Right, which was missed by uh, many West Ham fans who'd left early yes mm. one other question and this comes from James Clark going through the England team which won the under 21 championships this summer how many minutes of Premier League action have those players had since uh, Tammy Abraham's had a decent run for Swansea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Pickford starting goal for Everton. Of course. Nathaniel Chalabar before his injury. Uh, Mason Holgate got a bit for Everton. Although he's not a regular starter, is he? No, he's been in and out. Mm. James Ward-Prowse. Oh, he's got, the, the he's got the squad up. Tamari Gray. Gray. Yeah, no, he, he actually started at the weekend. Should have stayed at home yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's so inconsistent, you know... In, in summary, then, is that a lot of minutes? I, I suspect what James Clark is hinting at is whether that enormous potential is being left on the sidelines. I, th- I think it's better than expected. Right. Um, so, yeah, it could still be more. OK, time for a quick break. And then internationals, and not just any internationals, listeners, but decisive final round of qualifying, in some cases, internationals. More after this. Spain, uh, where the people most concerned with stopping crosses in boxes were the Guardia Civil. Uh, really troubling scenes there in Catalonia as they tried to have uh, a referendum, the right wrongs of which are you know, entirely separate to the up- incredible reaction of the of the uh, police there. Um, Barcelona requested to postpone their game, quite understandably. The Liga said they couldn't, so instead uh, they played it in front of uh, an empty stadium with Las Palmas. They didn't tell the fans, though, apparently. There was lots of shots of the fans who turned up at the gates waiting to go in. But anyway, hardly the biggest problem going on in Catalonia right now. Real Madrid, meanwhile, beating... Oh, Barcelona won, of course, and Messi scored a brace and that. And, and Real got their first home win of the season, a brace for Isco, as they downed Espanyol. Sasha? Did you see the uh, the stands in the, the Bernabeu were full of Spain flags? Mm. As was the Plata del Sol, no? Oh, I didn't, didn't see that. Yeah, there was also a small Spain flag on the Las Palmas shirt. Oh, it's true, yeah. Oh, really? Which, yeah. And apparently Las Palmas refused to move the game. 
Oh, was Las Palmas who refused? Well, I think. Oh, and, and their federation as well, okay. but Las Palmas so, didn't yeah. really say I anything. Mean, yeah. Uh, Napoli in Italy are now the only side with a perfect record after they beat Cagliari 3-0. And once again, Atalanta pulled off a very special result, holding Juventus to a 2-2 draw with Berisha... Uh, saving that uh, late Dybala penalty. And we'll hear more about all of this on Thursday. We'll also get the latest on uh, Paul Vincenzo Montella and the, the increasing pressure he's facing on the Milan bench after they got beaten by Roma at the San Siro uh, 2-0 on Sunday. Nice, by the way, in that um, in that game to see grandma-hugging wonder goal v Barcelona scoring Alessandro Florenzi getting his first goal since April 2016 after that terrible injury he suffered. Uh, next up for Milan, it's the derby with Inter after the international break, who beat Benevento, Sasha. Maybe on Thursday you'd like to discuss as well the controversy, the VAR controversy. Uh, yeah. uh, Verona getting two late VAR goals against Torino. Yeah, well, VAR every week. But yes, let's do that then. Oh, we'll also know more about uh, poor old Andrea Bellotti's injury, which is bad news, especially ahead of Italy's game. Uh, now, oh yeah, internationals are coming up. And not just any old internationals, but the last round of qualifiers. So this is all really, you know, important and dramatic and decisive. Few countries have as much riding on the next two games as Scotland. So it's time to dial up Jim Burke. Good day, good day, James. Good day to you, sir. And what a good time to be talking to you uh, just after Hibs came so close to ending Celtic's remarkable 58-game unbeaten domestic run. Yes, it was... I mean, Celtic didn't put out their, what you would call, their first team as such, with a few normal starting regulars on the bench. But that said, they were good value for the draw hibs, and it really wouldn't have been that much of a travesty had they actually won the game. Right. Of course, uh, Hibbs are managed by Neil Lennon, so that would have been especially sweet for him. How does that leave Celtic on top of the SPL? They're on top, but only on goal difference, James. Um, Aberdeen, they won um, comfortably at the weekend, so they're tied with Celtic on 20. Then there is a drop-off of six points to Rangers and St Johnson just after them. Last time we talked up Aberdeen, things went very badly, so we'll, we'll leave that for now. Uh, and, and ask instead the biggest question in Scottish football right now, surely, which is whether the Tartan Army are heading to Russia for their first World Cup since 1998. Jim, what do you think? Um, well, I think I said it on a previous podcast that one thing Scottish people don't do well and don't deal with well is hope. And the simple fact is, if we win our next two games, Slovakia on Thursday and then Slovenia on Sunday, who in theory will have nothing to play for by the time that game comes around, we're in the playoffs. Um, so that's never a position that we really like to find ourselves in, in truth. It was a terrible start for Gordon Strachan. How has he turned things around and is he actually popular now? He's done it, I think, by basically just putting all of the Celtic boys in the team. Um, it really, you know, the, the Griffiths scored two great goals against England. The midfield of Brown and Armstrong um, was really impressive. But the problem they have there is that both Brown and Armstrong are unavailable for both games. Oddly enough, when we look at the game on Saturday at Celtic Park... The two players who scored both goals for each side, McGinn and McGregor, have both been called in. And arguably, they are just like-for-like replacements. So, you know, again, I don't want to get my hopes up because that way madness lies. But, you know, I'm quietly, quietly confident that we might be able to do something. 
Jim Burke. Now, Jack Lang, earlier you were saying that we should all load up on stimulants and coffee, etc., for the South American qualifiers. I've got loads of questions here, but what is it that's got you so excited about them? Well, I think the first thing to say is that it's just interesting mathematically because Ooh. you've got Brazil, who were through, qualified early in March. Bolivia and Venezuela both now cannot get through. Mm-hmm. But then in the middle, you've got seven teams competing for essentially three and a half places, the half being the, the playoff place. Let's call it four. Let's call it four, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends, because you can see Argentina taking New Zealand apart, but maybe there are some other sides in there who wouldn't be quite so sure against... Uh, well, on current form, I, I'm not sure you would bet against Argentina taking anyone apart. Well, what's up with Argentina? So, OK, let's have a stupid list of, of goal-scoring talent. Uh, Higuain, Aguero, Dybala, Icardi, Messi. And yet they're scoring, on average, what? Less than a goal a game? Uh, I think it's bang on a goal a game at the moment. And of that list, obviously Aguero is injured. Higuain right. not called up. Yeah, It's looking likely... It's still pretty good, though. Yeah, it's still exceptional. But it's a bizarre situation because there's a chance that... I mean, Icardi has been the man in the starting lineup up front recently. There's, it looks like there's a chance that Sampoli, the, the manager, will actually go with a domestic base player, Dario Benedetto. Not really a household name outside his own country, which would be a perhaps a, a concession to populism of some sort. Well, you can see why he'd want to change Sampaoli, no? Yeah, I mean, they've been pretty abject recently. There's the nil-nil drill with Uruguay in the last couple of, uh, the last set of fixtures, followed by even worse, a one-all draw at home with Venezuela. The goal, yeah. was, the goal they scored was an own goal. It's, yeah, it's not looking great. And obviously they were nudged out of the automatic qualifying s- slot last time by by Peru, who, who are really the form team. They, they made a, pretty abject start losing four of their first six but since then they've they've really come on strong they've taken 13 points from the last 18 available and yeah, there's a really good chance that they're they can fourth, sneak it yeah they're in fourth place and they have the best kit in football basically no that's certainly true i mean the sash is very much underused in football kits i think it's, the peru kit is is vintage are Lovely we going to see it at the world cup I don't know. I hope so, because it would be a lovely story. They haven't qualified since uh, 1982. And there's a lot of history uh, involved in... So they are playing Argentina on Thursday night. Mm. Uh, there's a lot is that of his- home or- that's in Buenos Aires? It's in yeah. Buenos Aires. They've, they've moved it from the Monumental to the Bombonera Bocas ground, somewhat controversially. So Why? To get more of an atmosphere? Basically, the, the Bombonera seats 13,000 fewer than the Monumental. Obviously, it's a little bit more cramped, so there's a suggestion that the the cramped atmosphere might intimidate Peru a little bit. But there are also suggestions of um, some kind of behind-the-scenes dealings in that you potentially can charge a bit more for more scarce tickets and then use that to hike up prices in future. But there's there's certainly been some controversy. Peru, I don't think we're very happy about the relocation of the game. Who's who's in the Peru side? Can you name some Peruvian players? Yeah, um, for European audiences, the the one really the star player for the the last few seasons in Paulo Guerrero, who used to play for uh, Bayern Munich scored against Chelsea in the final of the Club World Cup for Corinthians most famously. He's He's been playing in Brazil for the last five, six years. He's not as old as you think he is, actually. I think he's only early 30s. Very good striker, very complete striker. Uh, kind of a big game player. Doesn't, doesn't actually score all that many league goals. He hasn't been top scorer in Brazil, for example, but loves cup games, loves playing uh, for his country. But he's kind of the talisman but what what's made the difference for them in this campaign I think is he's got a lot more help from those around him in the scoring stakes so there's the creative 
presence really as Christian Cueva, a little kind of diminutive, very South American style playmaker winger. Mm. But there's another guy called Edison Flores who's uh, really come to the table, scored five goals in qualifying. Is he Peruvian based? He's no, he's based in Denmark actually. Denmark, based for Aalborg. Okay. His nickname is Big Ears, which endears him <laughs> to me somewhat. But he's scored really important goals recently. So he scored in the two-one win over Uruguay. Scored in the two-one win over Bolivia. Scored in the two-one win over Ecuador. So I think the fact that Guerrero has a little bit of support in the goal-scoring stakes has made a very big difference. Right. And there's also another factor is their manager, who's who's Ricardo Gareca, who's very travelled, you might say, to put it politely he's very nomadic in his career and there's a nice little bit of symmetry here because he scored for Argentina when they were competing with Peru for a place at the 1986 World Cup what proved to be a crucial goal in stopping Peru getting to that he's now managing Peru against his country of birth it's a nice story and there's also it being at the Bombonera there's more history between Peru and Argentina there in that Peru knocked Argentina out of the qualifying for the World Cup 1970. So there's a lot of competing storylines here. I think it's going to be a fantastic match, definitely the match of the round. What, what time will that be in the UK? Uh, About two in the morning? Top of my head, silly o'clock. Yeah, yeah silly o'clock. <laughs> OK, Watford fans will be upset if we don't mention that Andre Carrillo is very much part of that Peru team, as is Jeff- Jefferson Farfan, who's been a name for, for a while now. Uh, he's played, uh, is he currently playing in Russia? He yeah, is, he Locomotive yeah, Moscow. Moscow. Yeah, who are second mm. in the league. Sorry, I was just stopped there. He's also out injured, unfortunately. Sorry. Oh, oh whoops. <laughs> you did that. If any, you sold that, if anything, too well, Jack, because we've not got a huge amount of time to touch on other South American things. Uh, Chile, uh, the side that is looking to miss out at the moment, which is a real shock, reigning Copa America champions. What did they get? Do semifinals at the last World Cup? Uh, no, Quarter they got knocked finals. out. Quarters. Quarters. Knocked but they were one of the teams. Brazil. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, but that will be a real shot. But then maybe they've just played too much football. What about Brazil, though, who last time at the World Cup ended on a very sour note? But Chite's made it a real force again, no? Yeah, he came in. When he came in, they were they were sixth in qualifying after six rounds, so outside of even the playoff place. Nine straight wins to get them back on track. And now he's got a very nice dilemma, but a dilemma nonetheless, in that, you know, a year from the World Cup, he can either maintain the base of the side and try and go for continuity or he can tweak try a few options now before the last world cup luis felipe scolari went for the former option having won the confederations cup put his faith in a set group of players and didn't really try other options that backfired horribly and it looks like chich is going for going for the second option he's brought in a few new faces players he hasn't called up before like fred from shakhtar diego tardelli plays in china Danilo of Man City and a, a young Gremio midfielder called Arturo is a very, very good player. So it looks like he's going to keep the core of the squad and try options here and there to try and broaden broaden the possibilities next summer. I think that's a good move, but the, the spirit in the camp is very high and right. I think they're going to be quite a force. Do they look like a Brazil again? I think they do. I think a large part of what he's done to take things on from Dunga is just clarity of vision. I mean, Dunga was very, to start with, an absurd choice to bring back into the fray given how badly his first spell went so that really was just time wasted for Brazil I think Chich is he's a modern manager he's studious he took a year off after he managed Corinthians to to travel through Europe talking to different managers 
something that you know Dunga probably is not really his style. He's very he's hands on. He's paternal. There was a Marcelo did a did one of those first person pieces the other day in which he said Chicha was the first Brazil manager to call him on the telephone just to discuss his plans for him, which I found absolutely bizarre really that mm. his predecessors wouldn't have done that but he has generated a very good team spirit the players seem to like being around each other and there's a sense of fun that comes across in his tactics and and in the way he deals with his players bingo good yeah thank you very much Jack. a fantastic little uh teaser there for what looks like being an exceptionally interesting round of South American qualifying and of course loads of other great qualifying too which we'll be discussing amongst other things to be fair in Thursday's edition of the Totally Football Show but that's it for this show Ian McIntosh thank you for being here thank you for everything (laughs) (laughs) Sasha after your incredibly intense footballing weekend thank you for uh, giving a little bit bit of something back with us today Jack Lang is stellar stuff Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for the banana cake. No problem. (laughs) Listeners, we'll be back with more on Thursday. Do make sure you see us then. Bye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.